to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. And he's Welcome to the Duck Pod. I'm Register Guard columnist Austin Meek. Ryan Thorborn's on vacation this week, um, somewhere in the Black Hills beyond the reaches of cell phone service. But sitting in is Steve Mims, uh, here to talk about something. It's the middle of the summer, not a whole lot going on on the sports front, but the show must go on. And uh, that's, that's true of recruiting as well. Uh, Oregon's football recruiting class right now, number one in the Pac 12. Uh, all the way up to number seven nationally, Steve. Um, what, what's what's been your what's been your take on the early returns for Mario Cristobal in recruiting? Uh, and do, do you think the Ducks can can maintain where they are right now? Do you, do you think when all is said and done, do you think Oregon could end up having a number one class in the Pac-12? Well, the disadvantage there is that they, you know, one of the reasons they're up at the top is they've got 14 guys already, which now these days you can tinker things a little bit. I mean, it used to be 25 was the rock number, which would mean you'd have Oregon at, at more than halfway through, but they're probably about halfway there. They probably end up with 28, 29. So, you know, sometimes with recruiting rankings in the summer, you, you got to look a little closer at them to see that with Oregon with 14. And, uh, you know, the impressive part about it to me is that nine of them are four stars in, in terms of the, the, quality of the talent it's not just going out there and bringing guys in but but the fact you've got nine four stars already kind of puts you in a good spot but I do think going forward we're going to see it you know it's been sort of it feels like it's been a little choreographed some of these guys you know commit together some of them commit at times you know right after a big recruiting weekend um, and things like that but it's certainly going to die down in terms of the number now over the next few months you know remember this is the 2019 recruiting class so we're looking at now you can sign in 2018 nowadays in December but it's sort of the next five six months there's only about 11 12 more spots for me to fill. Oregon's added a couple wide receiver commitments, I think, since we had our last podcast, which uh, was an area that Mario Cristobal was pretty candid about. They didn't get all the receivers that they wanted or as many receivers as they wanted in the last class. So it, it seems like they've they've done a nice job um, you know, plugging some holes and you know s- distributing the commitments around the different you know the different areas that they needed to fill, uh, but. Like you said, it, it's early, and I think you know. Th- there's always going to be a question with Oregon of, you know, it's one thing to get the commitment; it's another thing to get the players to sign on the dotted line. And I think Oregon traditionally has been a school where uh, it's appealing to a lot of players. Um, it's sort of in in theory, everybody wants to wear the Oregon jersey. Everybody likes the idea of playing in Oregon. Uh, maybe even likes the idea enough to to make a commitment to Oregon. But then when they think about um, actually living in Eugene, moving to Oregon, you know, for a lot of these players, it's a long ways from home. Uh, so I th- it'll be interesting to see, you know, of of these players who have committed relatively early to Oregon, how many of them actually end up signing um, either in the early or the late period. And, and you know, is, is this something that's sustainable, I guess, is, is what we'll find out. Well, and you look and you've already lost two members of 
last year's class didn't make it through spring. I mean, Jamal Elliott, the running back, left. You know, he talked about coming a long way from North Carolina. He came out, was all excited for spring, and and headed home. And and uh, you know, the wide receiver Jalen Hall, we haven't seen. He hasn't come back. And that was a kid from California, didn't go far. So that's the other part of this is, you know, you look at how many guys last year. If we were talking about the recruit now, who knew that the coach was going to leave? But things do happen at the end of a season. Things mm-hmm. happen during a season that affect recruiting. You know, these guys have signed on with kind of this idea that Oregon's on the rise. Well, what if Oregon goes five and seven and has some disappointing season to some of these? guys look around you know i mean and not saying there'd be a coaching change like last time but just unexpected things happen in recruiting so you got to take some of the 14 you know they've already lost two from this class you know they lost two recruits already who had committed to this year's class that are gone two from last year's class so some of this is a little bit fluid but um i do think that you, you put a little bit of a you know temper some of the expectations in terms of just having looked at already seeing that some of the guys from last year's class are gone some from this and and kind of wait let's see how this season goes and see in december when the signing date comes as this team kind of lived up to the hype and, and kind of built the momentum that these kind of recruits have kind of jumped on board on board for yeah well no question for oregon to be number one in the pac-12 by a pretty wide margin um the next team on the list is washington uh down in the 30s and all those recruiting rankings, as you say, are totally fluid, and that will change completely by the time uh, by the time the players actually sign letters of intent. But right now, it's a pretty good spot to be um, on the basketball recruiting front. Oregon added a, added a commitment from a graduate transfer, Ehab Amin, from Texas A and M Corpus Christi, noted basketball factory there, uh, potentially maybe filling in. Uh, some of the some of the void that Oregon is going to have without Troy Brown, who was was drafted in the first round by the Wizards uh, a couple weeks ago. Steve, where do you see uh, where do you see Ehab Amin fitting into the basketball rotation? Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, and, and you look at them particularly in the backcourt. I mean, with Will Richardson comes in as the freshman, you bring Pritchard and Bailey back and you throw a mean in there. I think it's pretty safe to say those four guys combined for the minutes at those two spots. Now, I'm going to do something that Dane Altman hates, which is actually call one a point guard and one an off guard because he likes to say we just recruit guards. We don't have to put categories on them. But, you know, I do think that last year they wanted to get – Peyton Pritchard off the ball a little bit more. I think they would have liked to have gotten more of a, another point guard option, you know. And last year their backup point guard was Troy Brown. That wasn't really a point guard option, you know. Elijah Brown. There just wasn't a whole lot of guys that could kick the ball and, and let Pritchard be on the wing. And I think that changes this year. I mean, you see Will Richardson is again probably not a true point guard, more of a combo guard. I think a mean the same way. You know, you look and. and you know, in, in a great season at Corpus Christi, his average assist was was right under three a game. So, you know, again, not a guy that's going to come in here and get you the you know be the ball dominant one. He's going to get you six, seven assists a game. I still think Pritchard leads this team in assists and is you know kind of the de facto point guard. But I do think this gives them some more options to be able to put somebody else at the point and move Pritchard outside and, and kind of let him get his shot a little bit more, maybe. I think it was important for Oregon to add some experience in the backcourt. Um, when you look at their team next year. Peyton Pritchard's really the only guy in the backcourt who has has played heavy minutes. You know, Victor Bailey um, got got some run last year, and I think showed showed promise at times. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the rotation shakes out if if Dana Altman um, goes with the upside of somebody like Victor Bailey, who will be a sophomore, or if if he leans more toward the experience of of Amin, who has has played not not at the Pac-12 level, but is a veteran player. Uh, when you look at his his 
profile at Texas A&M, A&M Corpus Christi, like you mentioned, you know, he 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 was a scorer, averaged 16, 17 points a game, uh, was, was an active defender. I think he led the NCAA in steals. Uh, his his sophomore junior year, he he had a year that he missed with an injury, um, so he he might have a little rust that he'll have to work out. But um, I, I think it was important to get some experience though in the backcourt because when you look at next year's team, they're going to be really talented, and they're especially in the front court, they're going to have you know, between Lewis King and Bull Bull, uh, Kenny Wooten coming back, they're going to have some some big dudes <laughs> that they can put on the floor. And it's just a matter of, I think, do they have, um, do they have the depth and do they have the experience in the backcourt to really be a complete team and a better team than they were last year? Yeah. We've seen in the past, I mean, Dana's gone was in particular that Joe Young year with three guard offense. So that's not going to be needed this year. I mean, you can say you mentioned that depth chart when, when you've got Bull and Wooten and, and Paul White coming off the bench probably is your bigs. And then you've got, you know, assuming, you know, I think another wild card in this season is Lewis King's health. I mean, we haven't seen, mm-hmm. you know, he's coming off of, of a pretty major injury and he thinks he'll be fine there, but is this going to be a deal where, you know, he's slow during training camp, takes him a while to get going. But, you know, if he's good to go, he's, he's your three out there with, with key jab behind him, in some minutes so I think that that takes care of those three spots and like I say that leaves four guys for the other two and and you mentioned me with the experience I think you know I watched Will Richardson in a game last trip in Hillsborough he's pretty thin guy you know I mean he's a a talent and a and a top hundred recruit, obviously, but I'm not sure in watching him that that's a guy that you looked at in pencil and said that's that's going to be Oregon's starting point guard next year. That's going to be a starting guard for Oregon next year. I, I think you look at him and, and see quite the upside and think that's a guy who can really contribute. But I think Amin at least now gives Dana the option that hey, he can have two veteran guards, which we know he likes. You know, as everybody you know, coach wants to have two vet, he wants to have veteran guards. He's now got the option of having two in them and, and bringing Richardson along at the pace that he's ready for. Yeah. Well, some off-season news uh, in some some other sports. Oregon softball has named its replacement for Mike White, Melissa Lombardi, assistant coach from Oklahoma. Uh, Oregon's had a couple other women's coaches leave. Rhea Scott, the women's golf coach, went to Virginia. Allison Silverio, the women's tennis coach, left for Notre Dame. So it's kind of an unprecedented uh, position for Rob Mullins to have all these open coaching vacancies at once, even though they're not in the most high-profile sports. You still got to hire a coach for those jobs and uh it's still a little bit unusual for Oregon to be losing so many coaches but uh you have to say overall at least for me I I give Rob Mullins a pretty solid grade for his uh his softball hire given the the circumstances uh Melissa Lombardi has a pitching background which I think is a good fit uh Coming off of the Mike White era, pitching was his specialty. Uh, I don't, I don't know if she'll be throwing batting practice like Mike was. If she can crank it up to seventy miles an hour like he could, but um, it seems like you know to to hire a, the top assistant from one of, uh, if not the most successful program of the last few years in college softball, seems like a pretty solid hire. Yeah, and, and I doubt Rob had a real Rolodex of softball coaches at the ready. You know, I think he probably thought Mike White was going to be his guy for a while. So I, I doubt they were looking around the market, you know, thinking that who's next on our list. So this had to be you know something that came together pretty quick. And like you say, I mean, Oklahoma's won two of the last three national titles. Been there twenty one years. I mean, you almost sit there and wonder what you know what happened in the Big Twelve in recent years that there was an opening that she didn't take. Was she kind of waiting to to kind of take over the Oklahoma program and maybe Oregon just came in with sort of you know kind of a ready made team, not just 
just a ready-made team, but ready-made pitching staff. With I mean, that may have kind of won her over to get her out of Oklahoma. Was hey, look, we've got a stadium that's ready to go. We've got a team that can win next year. We've got a really good pitching staff. You come in, and it's just sort of, you know, you've got everything you need right away. You're not going to have to rebuild anything. So certainly when, when you're looking around, you know, you, if you're not going to get an established head coach, I, I would think that Lombardi had to be sort of at the top of any assistant pool that, that people were trying to, to turn into a head coach. Yeah, you would think that this would be a really attractive situation for a uh, for a coach because, as you mentioned, all the, all the pieces are there. This Oregon team has been a College World Series contender basically uh, every year, and there will be a talented team coming back, assuming that the majority of the players who can return um, go ahead and stick with Oregon. So, yeah, you, you know, you wouldn't have thought they they would have much trouble filling this job. And you know, just based on some of the rumors that were out there, um, heard that they, they made a run at the Washington coach. Uh, that didn't work out. It heard that there was some interest in Rachel Lawson, the Kentucky coach, who had some connections with Rob Mullins going back to his time there. But you know, there there was some question about how much Oregon was going to be willing to pay its next softball coach based on the fact that Oregon apparently didn't really want to renegotiate the deal they had with Mike White, uh, even when Texas was offering him substantially more money. So I'll, I'll be curious. I haven't seen the numbers come out on Melissa Lombardi's contract. I'll be curious to see if she is making uh, as much money or more money than Mike White was. Um, but you know, all things considered, uh, especially if, if Oregon was working on a budget that maybe prevented them from going after a sitting head coach, um, hard to hard to argue with, with the candidate they picked. Yeah, and I'm waiting to see the panic spread across the campus that maybe Lombardi's using this as the stepping stone. She's just sitting and waiting for the uh, for the Oklahoma job, and that's what she uh, stepped out to do. It seems like we hear that in the bigger sports. Anytime somebody comes from a program like that, you wonder, oh, they're just going to come out here until their dream job opens and they go back home. But, um, you know, and she's somebody who's got, obviously, from Arizona, so there's some ties. Obviously, played at Oklahoma, but Arizona, she's out on the West Coast recruiting right now, so it, it, it does seem like somebody who's who's got some ties to the West Coast. This isn't somebody you've, you've plucked out of the Midwest who's never been here, and, and obviously she's seen Jane Sanders Stadium um, hasn't had her team score a run there yet I think they lost five to nothing but but she has seen the stadium and you, you got to figure that when when this offer came in she probably reflected back to that and sort of the atmosphere that was there that day yeah well football's right around the corner I'm sure Ryan Thorburn will be uh, on the road back to Eugene any day now and getting ready for the the trip down to Hollywood for Pac-12 media days so uh, we'll be back to talk about all that stuff when it happens Until then, thanks for checking out the Duck Pod, and we'll talk to you later.